1: Welcome to Real Vision. It's Friday, January 8th, 2021, just after market close in New York. This is the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Ash Bennington, joined shortly by Real Vision CEO and co founder, Rao Powell. But first, with the day's stories, Jack Farley.
2: Thanks, Ash. The Bureau of Labor reported today that for the month of December, the U.S. labor market lost 140,000 jobs. This is the first time the non-farm payroll number has been negative since April of last year, and it's well below the 40,000 that was expected by economists. By sector, the job markets in retail, transportation, and businesses' services grew by 0.8%, but these modest gains were more than offset by the leisure and hospitality sector, which shrank by a calamitous 3.7% a loss of 498,000 workers, almost half a million. Since last February, the hospitality sector has net shed 3.9 million workers, a total loss of 23.9%. This labor data released an hour before the opening bell did little to worry the equity markets in the first few hours of trading, although they did fade throughout the day before rallying in the afternoon. While action in the bond market today was unremarkable. Precious metals had a tremendous sell-off, with gold down 4%, one of the largest drops over the past year. And silver was down a whopping 9%. Meanwhile, Bitcoin continues to point skyward. One Bitcoin now trades at over $40,000. I think Ral and Ash may have a few things to say about that. And speaking of unrelenting northward marches, Tesla rallied hard, up 6% for the day. It's now worth some $820 billion. It's closer in market capitalization to Google than it is to Walmart. The company's captain, Elon Musk, is now the world's richest man, and he seems to have gained the ability to move money with just the twitch of his finger. Yesterday, Mr. Musk tweeted cryptically, use Signal, and shares of physical sensor company Signal Advance is up tenfold. The craziest thing is that Signal Advance may not have actually been the company that Elon was referring to. He could have been talking about the encrypted messaging service, which is called simply Signal. Which is privately traded. That's all for me, Ash. Back to you and Raoul.
0: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.
1: Raoul, welcome back. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. How are you? I'm doing well. Rao, you know, it's obviously been an incredibly eventful week in news flow, in markets. It's been simply extraordinary. But one of the reasons I'm so glad you're here is I've been following your Twitter feed. If you're not following it already, it's at Rao GMI. You have been talking about things uh, at a much deeper level, uh, away from all the chaos that's been happening on the surface. And I'm so interested to hear what that thesis is.
3: Yeah, look, I've got a developing thesis that I've been writing about in Macro Insiders, I've spoken about in the Real Vision Daily Briefing, and I've written about it in GMI in my January Think piece, and before that, is the market, and Roger talked about this the other day, the market has taken on reflation like it's a new religion. Everybody is all in on that bet. They are short dollars, short bonds, short bonds. Long commodities, long equities, and that bet is the most one sided I've ever seen. Considering where we are in the cycle, For those people who know me are familiar with my three phased approach the liquidation, the hope, the insolvency. The insolvency phase is ongoing, even the IMF have been using my terminology bizarrely enough, and the BIS. Um, so main street is getting killed europe and i've talked about this the virus in europe has led to lockdowns i called it the grinch that killed christmas i've been flagging this for a while europe didn't get christmas the uk is in full lockdown germany's going to be in full lockdown spain is going to more tiered approaches and i think we'll go into full lockdown as will, i think most of europe so that takes the european economy out of the global equation again We have rising virus cases in everywhere from Russia to South Korea to Japan, and there are restrictive measures all over the place. We have uh, cities in China that are closed down again. So we have a problem. We know this is coming. Meanwhile, in the US, we have 400,000 deaths almost now. I'm not sure the exact numbers. The trajectory is pretty clear. I think we'll be at half a million deaths. And again, I'm not interested in how you argue deaths because, again, we're talking about how governments and people react to the numbers that we're given. I think the deaths will hit half a million in the next three weeks um, just as Biden comes into office. So here we have a situation where everybody's one way. We have a new administration coming in who fought on the virus itself. And my belief is that we are going to see very strong, restrictive measures, whatever he can do institutionally, um, he will do. And that is going to completely stall growth in the US again. So with Europe stalled, the US about to stall, everybody one way in a trade. There's another thing that happens in markets, it's very typical, and I write about it in GMI, I have done almost every year for 15 years, which is that in January, if you're a hedge fund guy, or an institutional investor, you start with a zero P&L again. And you've got a new risk bucket as well. So you come into the beginning of the year, you read all this investment bank research of which they all tell you roughly the same thing because they're all consensus. And you put those bets on because you don't get fired for consensus trades. So they all put the bets on. And then guess what happens? Usually, somewhere between the end of Jan and early March, all of those trades get unwound in a bloodbath of, of stop losses it's very typical everyone's pnl goes to zero or negative and then everyone has to start grinding out the year all over again there's a few years that doesn't happen but most of the time the strong trends actually reverse pretty quick so we've seen the year everyone's piled into the same trades bond yields are screaming higher you know the dollar screamed lower all of these things equities screamed higher as well And so I'm worried about this risk period, and I've flagged it and flagged it and flagged it, that this is now an extremely risky period for us all, where we could see a total unwind of that trade. And I don't think people are prepared for it. I could be wrong, but this is the time to buy some S&P puts. I don't think it happens next week or the week after. I think it's a February, March issue. Um, This is the time just to be a little more careful. Um, because all sorts of things. We've seen gold today down 3.5%, silver down 6.7%. Based on these ramifications of the dollar stabilizing, if the dollar goes up, it basically kills all the other trades. I've called it a wrecking ball before. If the dollar goes up from here, it's going to wreck a lot of things. The other wrecking ball in play is rates going up. Rates are currently at 110 in 10-year bonds. I think they go; they might go to 120 which is the top of a larger channel. Again, you can see that on my Twitter feed. If it gets there, I think it cracks the equity market. Um, so there's a bunch of things, there's a confluence of things all coming together that are starting to scream risk at me. Um, so I'm paying real attention right now. You know, I'm, you know, really mainly I am um cryptocurrencies. And you and I were talking off camera, even if Bitcoin goes halves from here, in a usual corrective cycle, normally it's like thirty to forty percent in these bull markets. But let's say it goes fifty percent; it goes back to twenty thousand. That's basically the beginning of the year. I mean, nobody really cares. Um, it's okay, and just be used to that. That's why I've always said, don't have leverage in the trade. But other things can get really smoked here, so be careful. Um, don't press the bet on this inflation trade because I think there's an extremely high
1: probability of a reversal. Yeah. RAOUL extremely well said across the board. So much there to talk about. Uh, Absolutely right. No one ever got fired for making a consensus trade. Uh, And yet, what we see here, you look at the one-year chart. You look at the two-year chart on the S&P. It's up at a 45-degree angle. Uh, There's a divot where the COVID crisis hit. And we've just resumed, basically, back to trend growth on that. And it's been an incredibly steep trend, obviously, on very loose monetary policy. But just to put an exclamation point on something you said, where you were just spot on uh, about COVID deaths, current count now, 365,000. Let's take a look at four charts that are absolutely crucial from the COVID tracking project that really bring this into specific relief. Uh, First up. Daily tests. Obviously, this is the number of tests that that have been taken daily. Uh, You can see that number increasing. This is where the kind of, uh, well, I don't know if we should call it a conspiracy theory, but the view uh, that numbers are rising because there are more tests being executed. That is certainly true. You look at the next chart, daily cases. There's some reflection here uh, of that increase in the number of tests that are being issued. But And these are the four principal charts that the COVID Tracking Project uses, so we look at them all together because it gives you a holistic picture of exactly what's happening. It is the third chart that's the gut punch, currently hospitalized with COVID. Here's what you see when you look at this chart. If you're listening to it on a podcast, I'll describe it for you. What you see is basically three peaks, Uh, peak one uh, and peak two. Are around 60,000. This is the first two waves of the virus that we saw uh, in April and then later in the summer, really hitting at exactly the same point on peak at 60,000. And then we look at where we are today, 120 plus thousand, looks like spiked up to 130,000. This number shows a doubling of the number of persons hospitalized in the United States. This is an absolutely devastating chart. And finally, when we come to the fourth chart, Total deaths from COVID four thousand per day. That's where we are right now. It is a higher peak than we've ever seen before. The first peak of hospitalization exceeded the second peak because we got better at treating it. And yet now here we are at four thousand daily deaths. You can see the seven day trend line. If you're watching this on video, it's a devastating chart. And there'll be comments
3: in the comments section
1: of this is ridiculous. It
3: doesn't matter. Blah blah blah. And Again, I'm not interested in your view. I'm actually not interested in my view. What I'm interested in is what the governments are going to do and what people are going to do, because that's what matters to markets. I keep reiterating that point. Everything else is how you want to read it. But if you've got an administration that fought an election on this very thing, this is what he won it on, he has to deliver on it. So what the risk is 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 that regardless of whether you like it or not, and Mike Green's piece yesterday about the economic value of lockdowns versus reality, all well and good. And I respect Mike's view, but I think the government will see it differently. Um, And I don't know how constitutionally that they can do it. They will figure the best way that they can out to try and coerce as many states as possible. Right now, the problem is if you get three-fifths of states to lock down and two-fifths don't, well, the virus doesn't go away because there's interstate travel. So they have to figure something out while they can roll out a vaccine. And we've seen this in the UK. We've seen it all over the world. So this is not a US thing. It's everywhere has had to deal with it in the same way. That's what governments do.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And absolutely, we all have the right to our own opinion. We have a view. uh, But the data is something that's independent uh, of what our views are. And if you look, two other quick charts. This is the job growth. Uh, reversing. This is from the New York Times, today's New York Times. Uh, it's a really elegant chart that shows the reversal uh, in the trend in job growth. Now, what's so devastating about this chart, uh, when you look at it, and I'll describe it for people who are listening on podcast, is you see uh, minus 20%. That was the peak loss of jobs uh, at the beginning of the COVID crisis, uh, late March, early April. Now, we are minus 9.8 million jobs since February. This is minus 8 Ten percent uh, of jobs—it's—it's it's extraordinary to think about how many people have lost their jobs. It's like we've just adjusted down to this new level, uh, and it's not really permeating uh, the thought process. And, and the,
3: the the reflation idea, in some respects, is nonsense because those jobs are not coming back fast. A, we haven't finished this episode, and I've been telling people about this for a long time. This goes on longer than you expect. Every recession, you lose jobs for at least a year afterwards, and it takes a year to stabilize. They keep stimulating afterwards. These jobs are not coming back for a long time. Um, Don't forget, there was a structural shift in the US economy away from shop workers, right? Huge number of people. That is going away. I lived in the UK during an extraordinary time of the late 70s when we lost the shipbuilding industry, the steel industry, and the coal mining industry, and the car industry all in one go. Those jobs took five, six years, seven years before we got them back. Um, And some jobs never came back. So you could go get to retrain shop workers overnight into something else, into Amazon delivery people or whatever it may be. This is a really much bigger problem than people understand. People look at the markets and think it's all fine. It's not all fine for the average person. And that's what worries me here. It's the average person who gets screwed in this process. And some of this is the government measures. I get it. Others are the reaction function of humans to take risk avoidance. The economy slows down. And the other thing is secular shifts that were in play that got accelerated. And those things happen. But the acceleration is something that the people are going to find it very, very difficult to deal with. And you know, again, I've talked to this at nauseam. But the amount of fiscal stimulus that's still to come is going to make your hair turn on fire. I mean, there's no way you can deal with this without massive fiscal stimulus. And again, like it or not, that's what they're going to do.
1: Yeah, yeah. And just to put an exclamation point on that, Raoul, uh, Looking at the civilian labor force participation rate, if we look at that chart, uh, it just falls out of bed. We're looking at it here uh, from 2000 to the present. You see this roll down from about 67 percent uh, to the trough at the worst moment of the labor market in uh, in uh, the COVID crisis, down to about 60 percent. That's a that's a seven percent decline, peak to trough. And now, after the uh, after the bounce back, we're still below 62 percent and it's going lower,
3: a global macro investment, I've showed this chart in the past, is we've got a forward-looking, that is just demographics, bizarrely enough. And we've got a forward-looking uh, chart that just uses demographics, and it shows that it keeps falling, and it keeps falling for another decade. Um, so that labor force participation rate as the baby boomers leave the workforce is a huge issue that slows down economic growth in the United States that also correlates to things like uh, gas prices, gasoline prices in cars, because less people drive cars. It correlates to consumption. It correlates to velocity of money. The velocity of money chart is exactly the same chart. And guess what? It correlates about 90% to the Fed balance sheet. The Fed balance sheet is basically offsetting, is trying to offset the economic damage caused by the falling labor force participation rate caused by the demographics. Also the debt burden itself is correlated to that because as people don't have enough money to retire and don't have enough money for consumption due to wage deflation from demographic, um, they end up adding more debt. So all of this is related in a very, very big macro picture that most people don't understand.
1: Yeah, and you've been uh, discussing this here on Real Vision since 2018. It's a long-term secular trend on top of the crisis that hit us uh, out of left field. Yeah, absolutely
3: right. You know, if I, if you, if anybody's not seen my pension crisis videos, I urge you to to look at them um, on Real Vision or on YouTube. Um, There, it goes through this in great detail. It's moved on a lot from that, but the trend is in place and it ain't going away.
1: Yeah. Ra, I have to get your take on this. Bitcoin now, obviously over 40,000. Here are some statistics for you. It's doubled uh, since December. Um, We're up uh, 40% year to date uh, on January 8th, uh, and it's quadrupled in 2020 and doubled in 2019.
3: Yes. I've been following Bitcoin versus the previous halving cycle, which is 2017, 16, 17. And it was mapping it well. And then it started to accelerate past it because we've got institutional involvement now. So that's interesting. So then I went back. And again, you can find the chart on Twitter. Is I went back and looked at the halving cycle in 2013, which was much more violent. And Bitcoin is mapping that perfectly. And it suggests somewhere in the next three to four weeks, Maybe eight weeks, not clear on the chart, and need to do a bit more work on it. Bitcoin could get to fifty thousand or even hundred thousand before having this forty five percent correction. It may happen here. It's really difficult to tell on the chart, and you don't want to use it as an exact science, but just to tell you that potentially there's more upside to come, then some big downside in two thousand and thirteen, it then traded sideways for I don't know five months, which was not what we're used to right now, but what gold has just gone through, and then It exploded in a hair singeing rally um, that was truly mind blowing. Um, I think it went up 10x at that period. So I'm kind of thinking that's what we're gonna see. We'll see. Things don't always repeat in the same way, but it gives us some contextual understanding.
1: Yeah. And volatility can run in both directions.
3: Exactly. Now, volatility in Bitcoin is skewed to the upside. So the distribution is lopsided. Great. But there is still significant downside. The other thing that I've spoken a lot on um, Twitter about is Ethereum, where I went back and looked at Ethereum and tried to understand it in terms of how it price, you know, we have stock to flow and stuff like that for Bitcoin. And I realized it's basically just following Metcalfe's law, which is the kind of basically the more network connections there are, the more people in the network, the more it goes up in price. I, it's more valuable. And I also then compared Bitcoin. Now, here's a killer one. I compared Bitcoin to Ethereum using when they both had a million wallet addresses, active wallet addresses. What was bizarre, it was exactly mapping the 2017 cycle. They were exactly at the same price. So Bitcoin, when it had a million wallets, was exactly the same price that Ethereum was at a million wallets, and they map, map each other exactly. It would give suggestion that Ethereum is just a delayed Metcalfe's law that follows Bitcoin with its cycles. We understand that because there's a substitution effect. Mm. But it suggests that Ethereum could go to 20,000 on this cycle.
1: Yeah, I saw that chart. It was just extraordinary. I retweeted it when you tweeted it. What was your wording? That's an interesting chart. So is that all you've got to say? (laughs) You know, people have been calling me Spock on the comments. Apparently, I need to be more emotional, Ralph.
3: Yeah, I was like, this is the killer chart. (laughs) I'm like, hmm. Really, Ash? I've just spent, spent, you know, (laughs) that's the best you've got for me.
1: Yeah, it really is a hell of a chart. And and interesting now, two quick points about Ethereum. Obviously, we're above this key $1,000 price level. Uh, it's been a parabolic run, uh, obviously, here in the last few weeks uh, on this chart. And another thing that's interesting to point out is uh, over the holiday on Real Vision, we've been running on Real Vision Crypto, uh, we've actually been running the full interviews from our Ethereum documentary, uh, exactly what you were saying. Just the idea of just trying to understand what this technology is. A lot of people look at Ethereum, and they look at that chart, and obviously, it is pretty striking. Uh, but when you think about it, uh, not just as an investor, not just as an asset class, but it's something to understand the functional use cases for. Some of those videos with Alex Saunders uh, from Nuggets News, absolutely terrific and invaluable. I,
3: and that's why I've maintained a view for a while that over time, I believe, and if you look at it, the adoption actually of um, um, market cap versus a number of wallet addresses of Ethereum is ahead of, significantly ahead of where Bitcoin was. Yeah. Um, and you see the distribution of returns. Again, I put some of it on Twitter, and I've written this whole piece, I will do a piece of Real Vision crypto in the next couple of weeks. It shows potentially that Ethereum is getting adopted faster. Yeah. And will potentially have a larger market cap um, than Bitcoin over time. Again, I'm not talking about a flippening happening immediately. Blah blah blah. I'm talking about platform platform versus asset, and a platform is often more valuable than an asset. I know that's highly contentious for some people. That's just how I see it.
0: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lipson ads. Go to Lipsonads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N ads.com.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that speaks to the functional value of the use cases for Ethereum, uh, which is very different, obviously, than something that you would see on a chart alone. Uh, by the way, the, uh, the flipping. Coined, I believe, by our own Sebastian Moonjava. Really? I believe so. Good man. The um, the other thing,
3: the big news in the crypto world this week was the new thing built on the lightning layer um, that shows basically instant transfer of money, which is something that people said Bitcoin couldn't do. And a lot of people in the Bitcoin world said it it can, it's coming. That was very interesting. And I think uh, people need to be aware that Bitcoin is not a stationary um, ecosystem either. It's developing very fast and yeah. there will be a whole crossover between what Ethereum can do and what Bitcoin can do. As Ethereum 2.0 becomes a harder asset and looks a bit more like Bitcoin, not the same, a bit more like. And um, the layer two solutions on Bitcoin look a bit more like Ethereum. You know, there is going to be some competition, but, but I still believe they're complement products, not compet- com- competition products.
1: Yeah, that's right. And this is something that's so fascinating and something that we really are eager to take a look at in more detail on Real Vision crypto, the idea of these layer two solutions coming on top of core Bitcoin functionality, allowing the stability of the underlying asset while maintaining the expansive, uh, extensible functionality on top of it. It's a fascinating topic. Once you go down this rabbit hole, uh, it just gets more and more interesting.
3: Yeah, absolutely right. Now, I just want to switch gears again and talk a bit about because I know people are going to ask about gold, which got a shellacking today after looking great and breaking out and then got a shellacking today. And I asked Twitter, and I did a bit of research like, okay, what is driving this? And basically, if you map the chart of TLT and gold, they're identical. So it's basically bond yields rising and the reflation trade is knocking gold somewhat. So I think that's interesting. I also, if you refer back to the earlier part of the conversation, I think bond yields top out and bond yields start falling again. So I'm not overly concerned with gold, but I know people want to hear some commentary on gold. I think, yes, it might, it might drop a bit further. I don't know how much further, but I think it will find a base and start rising, particularly if we start to see yet again, more big stimulus plans coming. So, uh, and if bond yields start falling again. So that's just—I know people will be definitely asking for that.
1: Yeah, Well, I have to ask you now that you've laid out the thesis. What are your thoughts about how you're going to be positioning yourself uh, to take advantage of it?
3: So, my thesis is the next three months extremely risky. I've got some bond calls. I'll probably buy some S and P puts, and I'll sit with anything else um and let's see what happens beyond that i think that probably continues maybe into june where we could get a bit more of the kind of reflation unwind narrative after that i think things like emerging markets might get hit if the dollar goes higher markets overall might get hit that's making me look to position into emerging markets which will be a long-term buy and hold trade i think a five-year plus trade i've said it you, you buy it and go to the beach for 10 years. It's probably seven years. Usually, and I've done a lot of work in this in GMI, it usually goes up 400% from here. Um, Emerging markets have gone nowhere for over a decade now. So it's uh, coiled and ready to explode. In the 12-month time horizon, I'm all in on crypto. That's where I think all the performance comes. After that, Once we've gone to the full speculative mania that crypto usually becomes, I will try and sidestep out of that and asset allocate into emerging markets if my thesis is playing right. So risk here. I'm indifferent about Bitcoin. Even if it halves, I'll just buy more. Same with Ethereum. If I've got any cash available, because I'm all in. Um, I'm, I'm expecting market volatility. I want to use that volatility to find a great entry price. Into emerging markets. I will start with something like EEM because it's the most asset allocation goes, most people that understand asset allocation, liquidity preference, time preference, risk preference. Liquidity preference, you start with the most liquid instrument, particularly when you start, because you might get it wrong, right? You're not sure the trend's established. So EEM, liquid, easy, we all understand it, we can trade it. Time preference, well, once it starts establishing a trend and you know you're right, You then know it's likely to be a five- or seven-year trend in emerging markets. Okay, we've got that. So at that point, you start looking at risk preferences. Do I want to try and create alpha by going further out on the risk curve and looking at individual emerging markets? My favorites would be India. It might be as risky as Iran. It could be Morocco. It could be Saudi Arabia. There's a bunch of countries I'm very interested in. So that's when you go out on the risk curve. That's how all asset allocation works. So credit managers will start with their liquidity preference being, let's say, single A names. And then they'll go to triple B to get more yield, and then they'll go to junk bond, and maybe even private sector lending. In cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin is your liquidity preference.
2: Mm.
3: The liquidity preference for Bitcoin is dollars or bonds, which it is for the whole system. But let's say in crypto, it's Bitcoin. A little bit further out, you've got you can have a risk preference and a risk tolerance to own um, Ethereum for a longer period of time for the reasons we've talked about. But you might go further out in the risk curve and say, OK, I want to get some Cardano and I want to get some Link and I want to get some other things because I know the trend has established. And that trend, the alt trend will come too. So I'm looking at that big scale in the whole macro picture where I want to get into emerging markets over time, crypto now, emerging markets later. Those of you who don't like crypto, you can start looking at emerging markets. I think they're correct. Then I will start going out the risk curve to go into these
1: funkier markets where I think I can get more juice in the trade. Yeah. Yeah. Not financial advice, obviously, but such an interesting insight into the way that you think about these markets. Yeah. I mean, that's how asset allocation works. That's why I don't understand, you know, again, in the crypto world, people go,
3: oh, you know, shit coins. No, they're just more risky. And that's okay, because they also come with more rewards at the right time. They also come with more downside at the wrong time. That's what risk is by definition. And you accumulate risk when you think risk is in your favor, and, yeah. you, and you divest risk when you think risk is going against you. It's as simple as that.
1: So true. The place to start is always with asset allocation.
3: Exactly right. And very few people understand it, but um, I'm going to try and drill this home to people how to think about asset allocation. Yeah. Rao, I know you have a flight to catch. Any final thoughts? No, I think I've given a lot of thoughts in this one. In half an hour, I've given you everything from asset allocation, my five year view, um, what I think is going on in crypto, Ethereum, how I think we're in in a risk period, what's happening with the virus, and how I think it's going to play out. So, other than that, I think all there is to say is have a great weekend.
1: Pretty good information density, uh, Rob. Before we go, two final points inside the hive mind. Uh, yeah, Weston. love love this, West. You know, I'm a huge fan of what Western is doing in the
3: exchange. I love the exchange. To show before you go into what you're about to say, um, I even plucked out somebody I saw from the exchange, John Fadul, who's been doing video interviews, has been writing geopolitical strategy. And I plucked him out and said, John, can you write a piece for Global Macro Investor? He wrote a piece on Morocco for me, and I published it in Global Macro Investor. I've never met him before. I got him from the hive mind because I knew he was a young expert that we've got within our Real Vision audience. Love it. So anyway, talk about Western's hive
1: mind. Yeah, that was exactly what I was about to say, actually. that So the Hivemind is a, is a monthly PDF publication uh, that represents the exchange, which you just spoke about. Uh, this is the interaction platform that we have internally here at Real Vision for Real Vision subscribers to participate in the conversation. Uh, if you don't know Weston Nakamura already, he's an absolute superstar. Uh, and it's a, great, it's a great thing to participate in and join. And now you've got a condensed version coming out every month in PDF, curated by Weston himself.
3: Yeah, and it's amazing, again, and it will show to people the power of our members. This is them, their commentary, their analysis, their ideas. It's, it's just mind-blowing. And I talk about this a lot, and this has only just started. Also another thing, just quickly before I go, is um, on our uh, Real Vision Twitter accounts, you know, we have daily programming on the account, so it's definitely worth signing up for that because it's obviously free, and there's some really cool stuff, and it's fun, the great interaction. We had running what everybody's best chart was. Um, it's like a Friday special. And the winner today was Brett's chart of the uh, bond market. And it kind of plays into the thesis I've been talking about, that this looks a very corrective move. He thinks this kind of 130 level, I thought 120, was the level that it could reverse at if it goes to two. But usually... It reverses from there. Stair steps down again. There's some good analysis on it. So I think hopefully Nick can show the chart. Um, but well, and Brett loved it.
1: Yeah. Final thing I got, Raul. If you're bored tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern time. I'm jumping on Twitter to talk about uh, a conversation that I had on Ground Floor Consensus, Real Vision's latest podcast, all about crypto that I host. I did a great conversation, uh, not great because of what I said, but great because of what Ari Paul said, uh, with CIO at BlockTower Capital, who has just a fascinating take on the crypto market. It's a deep dive down the rabbit hole on the concepts of adversarial thinking, game theory. It's an absolute wonk fest, 8 p.m. Eastern time uh, on Twitter, at Ash Bennington.
3: Are you going to get? Are you going to get Harry to join you on the Twitter? If he's available, yes. If he's available, get him to answer some questions too. That'd be super cool.
1: Yeah, that would be absolutely fantastic.
3: Brilliant. All right, guys. Again, have a fantastic weekend. Stay safe. Uh, stay warm. I know I'm warm here in the Cayman Islands, but the rest of you are shivering. <laughs> um, so stay warm and uh, have a great
1: weekend. Have a great weekend, everyone.